and welcome to episode 81 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much. We would like to thank Calvin Sert. Ken Latham. Leanne Bibby. Renee Jones. MK. Ariel. Stephanie Rahan. Erin. Elijah Mata. Lucy Faber. Lottie. Nancy Austin. Jennifer Norgate. Jared Wilbur. Georgina Isaiah. Siobhan Brady. Sloth Loves Chunk. What a name. <laughs> Goonies. <laughs> Michelle Clifford. Sorry, oh, I got carried away. Oweeder Bird. Erin Mickelson. Lisa Powell. And Abby Hassett. Thank you all so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you. We appreciate you so much. And we are keeping going with our theme of promos for the next couple of weeks. And today's promo is not paranormal, but it is the most wholesome thing you will ever hear. So as we are all currently in various stages of lockdown, everyone's looking for new content. And we are promoting this week the podcast Fell in Love with a Hound, which is all about the trials, the joys, the tribulations, the victories of adopting a rescue greyhound. Oh my word. I know, which is like the sweetest thing ever. That's so cool. So if you listen to the promo and you enjoy, please go and listen to Fell in Love with a Hound. Hello and welcome to Fell in Love with a Hound, the podcast for people who love rescue greyhounds. My name's Laura Jane and I'm your host. I started this podcast after I adopted my first ever greyhound and realised what truly special dogs they are. I talk to owners and rescue centres about this amazing breed and share their unique stories. Each week I cover a different topic, from rehoming and fostering, to health and vet tips, and even some hound fashion. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you find podcasts to never miss your weekly greyhound fix. You can also follow us for a cute greyhound photo a day on Facebook and Instagram at Fell in Love with the Hound. I hope you can join me soon, but in the meantime, have a fantastic day and give your hound a hug from me. So that was Fell in Love with a Hound. Please go and listen, if only for that gorgeous Scottish accent alone. (laughs) Oh, I just love it so much. And we also have a key worker shout out today. Yes, we do. Um... So we've been trying to just give a little shout out to all of our key worker listeners who are doing the tough jobs while the rest of us are locked down. And so we've got a little shout out today for Greta Catherine Tarnow, who is a personal care attendant. So she looks after a little autistic six-year-old boy. Thank you so much for Thank everything you for that everything you are doing. You do and for just doing those things that make life tick over while the rest of us can't do anything. Our film review this week. Our film review is Demonic. Demonic was released in 2015. It has 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? I would love one. A psychologist and a police officer investigate the deaths of five people who were killed while trying to summon ghosts in a notorious haunted house. So what were your thoughts on this film? I think I say this every episode, but I didn't mind it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you do too. Um, Mainly because I'm easily pleased. It was good up until the wheels fell off at the end. I 
struggled to remember what film we watched this week, which is not a good sign. No, that's not. So today I was like, oh shit, did we watch a film? What film did we watch? <laughs> and then I was like, oh yeah, it was it was that one. I'm going to give this film its due. There were some good jump scares in it. Yeah. Like good, kind of clever little jump scares. I'm all there for those jump scares because I jump all of them. But it, I don't think it was very well thought out. And I actually thought it was quite confusing. I, you know, I was into it, but it, it had a lot of um, horror movie stereotypes that bore the bollocks off me. Um, I thought that the characters were so exaggerated that they became caricatures. Do you know that kind of way? So you had mm. like the ultimate good guy and then you had the dick. And, and then the you, witch. And then you had, yeah, the girl who was like into all the dark shit. And oh, it just bored me. Just bored me, I think. I didn't think it was boring. It might have bored you. I didn't think it was boring. I thought it was a good... I thought it was an okay film, actually, to be honest. Good uh, points. Jump scares were good. Good premise. Good concept in terms of the way that they were going to do things. So they had some stuff where it was internal footage. So, like, handy cam stuff. I thought they were going to do more with that, but they didn't really use it as much, as well as I thought. The underlying story was was interesting, I just think they blew their load a little bit at the end. Oh, that's a that's a dodgy little phrase to use. <laughs> in in a not in a not. But they did. Yeah, I do. I think they they got carried away at the they end. They did get carried yeah. away, and they weren't. It wasn't struck. It wasn't as structured as it should have been earlier on. So it was a bit of. It was a bit of a mess. Yeah, it was. And, and which it, in hindsight doesn't sound like a good film, but it, I, I thought it was watchable. And do you know what what aggrieved me more than anything else about this film is the absolute shoddy police work that happened the entire way through this film (laughs) so you have like in the beginning a policeman is called out to this notoriously haunted house where this guy has heard screams so he's like oh something's happened in the house goes in on his own yep on his own no backup nobody nobody knows he's there only calls for backup when he finds somebody who he thinks is dead who then gets up and flees the scene yep that's the time he calls for backup. Yeah, and that, nowhere by this in, point, he's seen three dead bodies already and he's still yeah. not radioed anybody. <laughs> Nobody, nowhere in your police training, I don't think it says, make stupid decisions on your own that are potentially dangerous. Yeah. I don't think it says that in your police training. It doesn't. And their questioning of the survivor is questionable at, at best as well. It's very in, very intense. There's a lot of running in and out of places and, oh God, it's just, it, uh, yeah, just very bad police work. It annoyed me. I think... James Wan, Wan is the is a director on this, and he has obviously done The Conjuring, Insidious, Saw, massive horror franchises. This wasn't early in his scope of work. This is about midway through. I think it's a 2013 film. Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen film. There's no excuses for this. I don't think. No, I wonder. Like, There's no named actors in it. It's like very there are they are named, but they're not people you know. I think the leading lady is probably the most recognisable, and she's just been no. I can't actually. I can't understate that she's had supporting actress nominations in the Golden Globe, so she's not. She's probably the most well known person, but I don't recognise her from anything. And the rest are TV actors, and some of them are extras. <laughs> it's it's just very seems very strange. It had a very small budget. The budget was like three yeah. million. So it had a really small budget. Um, did it even live up to a three million budget? I don't know that it did. No, but I mean, it's a standard standard premise, isn't it? A group of group of twenty year olds go and check out a haunted house, but there's just 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 a few more links to that haunted house because of the area and the stories that go with it. But then very convoluted. There's no real there, there's not there's not really a thorough exploration of all of those links, which makes it very confusing. And I hate films that start at the beginning and work their way back. Yeah, through flashbacks rather than just going starting at the beginning then yeah. going back and working their way back to that point if it's just a series of flashbacks I find it quite irritating but it, it was alright it was alright so what are you going to give it out of five three 
I'm also going to give it a three. So that's a that three. That surprises me because you said it was boring and no good. <laughs> I did say it had good jump scares though. Okay, that's true. So I'm going to give um, Demonic 2015 a three. Three from both of us. So our story this week. This this story is chaotic. I'm just going to put it out there. Now, I don't mean that in a Jeff the Mongoose or okay. Mel's Hole kind of way. <laughs> okay, okay, good. So <laughs> I have spent all week researching this story. Actually has. Literally all week. It's very, I'm not going to build it up anymore, but it comes from, somebody messaged me on Instagram, I'm really sorry, I don't remember your name, and they said, hey, have you checked out this book? This story is crazy. And actually, I already had bought the book previously, but I'd never read it. So I said, oh, no, this is a perfect time to read this book. And the book is called Par- Paranormal Intruder. It's by a woman called Caroline Mitchell. It is supposed to be a true story. Okay. And it is available at the moment. You know the way Kindle do special offers every so yep. often? It's it's for free on Kindle at the moment. Amazing. So if you want to know more about this story, I would recommend getting the book. It's free on Kindle. You got nothing to lose. Pick it up. Are you ready? Yeah. No. Well, go for it. It started with a phone call. Caroline, a police officer, was at her desk when her husband Neil called. She was surprised to see his name on the phone screen, as he never called her in work. Caroline, he said, I think the house is haunted. Caroline assumed it was a prank, and when she was radioed to attend an incident, she put the phone down and put the call out of her mind. At the end of her shift, she looked at her phone to see numerous missed calls from her husband, and numerous voice messages, which were each more and more panicked. Caroline explained to her partner that something was happening in her home and asked him to meet her there in case there was an intruder or they needed help. He readily agreed and Caroline left the building to go home. Sitting in the car park was Neil, his best friend and his mum, all huddled up in his car in the freezing cold. We couldn't stay in the house, he said, and we didn't know where else to go. Caroline was perplexed. What was being told to her by the ragtag group was absurd, but they were so sincere and so frightened. When she arrived home, her partner was there waiting for her and was thoroughly amused at the thought of ghost hunting. I mean, who wouldn't be? On entering the house, Caroline saw her kitchen had been completely trashed. She described it as being like the remnants of a Greek wedding. There was broken cups, plates, saucepan lids everywhere and she began to berate her husband. Understandably, if this was a prank then this was taking it pretty far. He explained that this was why he had been frantically ringing her all day and finally pointed to a carving knife lodged in a drawer that had been thrown across the room. Caroline began to look around properly, recognising the earnestness of her husband's claims and observed the absurdity of her surroundings. A milk carton, for example, was balanced precariously on the open door of the microwave, and the crockery was not just broken, it had been completely shattered, smashed into tiny pieces as though thrown repeatedly with immense force. As the group stood in the kitchen, Caroline began to tidy up, because what else do you do when an unseen force has systematically trashed your kitchen? A cup one of the only ones remaining, rose from the kitchen table, flew across the room and smashed on the floor. This was witnessed by Caroline, her husband, her police officer partner, 
her husband's friend and her mother-in-law and was quickly followed by a rapid series of odd events. If they left the room, there would be a crash or a thump and something would have been moved from a cupboard and placed in the middle of the kitchen floor. A family portrait was removed from the wall upstairs and placed leaning against the wall. A plate was frisbeed from their teenage daughter's room out into the landing in front of her mother-in-law's eyes. Not only did Caroline not know what to do, but she also had no idea who she could even call. The evening rolled on, and finding no reasonable explanation as to what was happening in the house, Caroline and Neil decided they would leave for the night and go and stay with Neil's parents. Their children were already there, and their eldest son Joe had just arrived home from college. As they converged in the sitting room to discuss the plan for the night, a steady, methodical thump, 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 was heard from the hallway. Caroline and Joe went to check what the sound was and watched as the plate from their daughter's room was somehow sliding slowly down the staircase, one step at a time. The group watched in horror and immediately decided that they needed to get upstairs, collect their overnight things and get the hell out of the house. Neil, Caroline and Joe traversed the stairs together all three frightened of going up alone and separated at the top to collect their things. Caroline opened a closet door to get night things for the children, only to have the door slam closed with such force that it yanked her forward. She turned, ready to run down the stairs, and came face to face with her pale and wide-eyed son. Mum? He stammered. Something just tried to push me down the stairs. I had to grab the banister to stop myself from falling. Neil had been watching TV at home earlier that afternoon, when there was a knock on the door. It was his friend, Lee, popping in for a visit. When he got back to the living room, the TV remote was nowhere to be found. Lee and Neil searched the living room for around five minutes, but could find no trace of the remote. They didn't think anything of it, and went outside for a cigarette. On returning to the sitting room, Neil noticed that his keys were placed on an aerobic step in the middle of the floor, absolutely not where he had left them, and he began to feel uneasy. The pair went to the kitchen to brew some coffee, and returned once again to the sitting room. This time, the keys had been moved from the step to the fireplace, and with the unease growing, Neil checked on his son David upstairs. David was at this moment engrossed in a computer game, and it seemed unlikely that he was embarking on some elaborate ruse to wind up his dad and his mate. Neil went back downstairs to find Lee pale-faced in the kitchen door. A large spray can of furniture polish was sitting in the middle of the kitchen floor, which definitely had not been there when they were making their coffee. And that was when the phone calls began. The screen simply said call. No ID or phone number flashed up. When he answered, Neil could hear a bizarre echoing sound. After hearing no voices or getting no responses, he put the phone on loudspeaker. Lee, obviously taking inspiration from paranormal TV shows, asked it to tap three times if it was a ghost. From the other end of the phone, came three taps, as though someone or something was tapping the outside of the phone with a long fingernail. 
It was time for them to leave. Neil ran upstairs and grabbed David. He carried him downstairs and was quickly shushed by Lee, who was waiting at the bottom of the stairs outside the sitting room door. From inside, there was a distinctive dragging sound. Holding their breath, they opened the door to see that the aerobic step had been moved from the middle of the room and was now propped up against the wall. They fled the house. A couple of hours later, Lee and Neil returned to the house to check on the dogs, who were fine, and it was then that they came across the knife lodged in the drawer and the balancing milk carton. They were really scared now because this seemed dangerous. They put the dogs in the garage and as they made to leave the house, a growling began upstairs. A low, evil and terrifying growl that was neither human or dog, but was sinister in nature. Lee grabbed a roll of tinfoil as a means of defence and led the slow and steady charge up the stairs to take on whatever this creature was. I have to say that was my probably my favourite moment in this book. I love it. It's so tense. It's so tense, this story. And then the weapon he chooses is that well-known ghost hunting implement, tinfoil. I love it. He was about three quarters of the way up the stairs when he dropped the tinfoil, turned to Neil and scrambled for him, pushing him down the stairs saying, get out, get out, you've got to go. I've seen it. We've got to get out. Neil felt a burning sensation rising in his neck and they realised that he had three razor-thin, deep gashes in the back of his neck. Fleeing the house, Neil and Lee picked the children up from school and instructed them to stay in the car. Neil was angry now. There was some sort of intruder in the house and he was not going to stand for it. He went back to the house and as he entered the building ready to face whatever evil was waiting for him, his phone began to ring. He answered it, and there it was, the echoing at first, but then a low, steady growl, definitely not a dog, and definitely not human. He took the children and fled to his mother's. They eventually had to return to the house. They had duties as professionals and as parents, and in the pale light of day, After they had cleaned it up, the house didn't seem so threatening. As they attempted to settle back down into a routine, they also tried not to allow the fear of the entity to take over their lives. They ignored flickering lights and odd bangs and taps. Realistically, if it wasn't for the events of that fateful day, they probably wouldn't even have given events like that a second thought. They still needed help, however. Frequently, they would get a smell of smoke and upon investigation, they would find that the oven was on and piping hot. Despite turning it off at the power source, it would always find a way to turn back on again, up to four times a day. In a house full of children, this was a danger that they were not willing to ignore. So they called in the mediums. And let's just say that the mediums were not the answer to their prayers. One visit provided the information that Neil and Lee had been brothers in their past life and that the entity was their other brother who had sustained a head injury in war and was therefore prone to angry outbursts. Another group of mediums cited Caroline's father as the cause of the issues, but 
backtracked when they were informed that Caroline's father was in fact alive and well and living in Ireland. (laughs) Regardless of the accuracy of the mediums, two things happened. Firstly, they all stated that Neil was the centre of the activity. And secondly, the house calmed down. And just as suddenly as the activity started, it stopped and life returned to normal. For a time. Because the phone calls began again in July. Neil had been plagued with a sense of foreboding and the house felt as though it was filled with static. One day, while at home with Lee, Neil's phone began ringing and he was met with a crackling silence on the line. Again and again this happened as a sense of fear and dread began to grow. Doors began slamming around the house and the men decided it was time to take the children to their grandparents again. While the doors were slamming, the sound of hailstones pounded the roof of the house. It wasn't until they were bundling the children into the car that they realised it wasn't hailstones. Handfuls of small stones and pebbles seemed to be materialising in mid-air and were being showered over the roof of the house. They got the children to their grandparents, but again, they had to return to the dogs. Neil and Lee returned to the house to yet again be assailed by pebbles, and this time small rocks, hurled with such force that the car was left dented. On entering the house, they were bombarded with cutlery being flung from seemingly mid-air, and both of their phones were plagued with phone calls that were coming from inside the house. Whatever was in the house was clearly back with a vengeance. Neil continued to be harassed with phone calls and objects being thrown at him, both in the house and elsewhere. He disconnected his phone and the calls still plagued him. When he answered, the entity was becoming more vocal, groaning and sighing. Neil went to the Catholic Church and sought an exorcism, and while he waited for a response, he made a startling discovery. In the house, in the kitchen, he found a note. A piece of paper folded up in the kitchen. And on that note, scrawled in unfamiliar handwriting, in purple pen, was the word Neil. He decided that this was a way to communicate with the spirit, and invited it to respond. It did, eventually scrolling D O eight in shaky handwriting. It didn't make any sense. The worry continued, the attacks continued, the phone calls continued, and Caroline and Neil again reached out for help. Two priests had agreed to visit them from the free church. On the morning of their visit, Neil's phone was continuing to receive call after call, except this time a beep came through, signifying that a voicemail had been left. Caroline listened, assuming that it was a real person trying to contact Neil. But the voicemail had clearly come from inside the house. Their conversation and the sound of the television could be heard clearly, as well as unknown male voices. Suddenly, crystal clear, a voice, dark and hoarse, said, Fuck the priests. The priests from the Free Church arrived. 
and quickly left after being barraged with phone calls and saying a few prayers. They implored the couple to again contact the Catholic Church as this entity was beyond their remit. After they had made their hasty retreat, Caroline picked up one of the phantom phone calls and shouted at the entity to be met with an inhuman voice growling and barking, Neil, down the phone. And eventually the growl turned to a cackle and ended with a violent, gurgling, vomiting sound. Again, the family were forced to move to Neil's parents' house. They embarked on a new tactic of ignoring the entity. They filled the house with laughter and music and television to drown out what was happening, and it seemed to work for a time. In the meantime, they continued to seek help, and eventually got in contact with Mike Hallowell, a seasoned paranormal investigator who agreed to try and help them. Mike and his team visited numerous times, but the relationship became strained when the investigators implied that Neil's friend Lee was the one that was responsible for the activity. The entity had, at this stage, progressed to setting fires. The iron would be found on and pressed against items, tea towels left on the toaster, a tree and a bike mysteriously burst into huge flames in the back garden. Neil continued to become more and more withdrawn and his family members began to receive bizarre phone calls trying to sell them life insurance for Neil or telling them that Neil's house had burned down. One day Mike called, garbling with excitement. Do you remember D08? On the paper, do you remember? He explained. Well, the same letters appeared in another poltergeist case in South Shields. The entity wrote it with children's magnets. What if it's the same entity? It wasn't long after this that for the first time Caroline actually saw the entity in the house. She was cleaning the bathroom one day when she felt the prickling sensation on the back of her neck that someone was intently watching her. She turned and came face to face with a pale little girl. Oh, get out. She had huge, unblinking brown eyes full of sorrow, long brown hair and a pale pink dress, and in the blink of an eye she was gone. Caroline immediately worried prayed for her safety and went and told Neil. It's not a little girl, he said, shaking his head. It's him. This is what he does. Mike and his team arrived for another investigation, which this time would span over two days. They were not disappointed, as the entity banged, scratched and growled its way through the two nights making objects disappear and reappear in different rooms and making its presence very much known in the house. Eventually, the entity made itself known in the most horrific way yet. While in their son's bedroom, the team realised that one of the group, Chris, was emitting a faint green glow. Mike decided to take some pictures and illuminated by the flash of the camera, they saw that Chris's face was no longer his, but was the face of a gaunt, disfigured old man, causing them all to flee in shock and fear. While the activity continued, there was still no answer as how to actually get rid of it. 
It was again while Caroline was at work that she received a frantic phone call from Neil. She returned home, this time accompanied by two police officers. When she arrived, Lee and Neil were in the kitchen, staring at a puddle on the floor. Caroline was confused. Why in the world had they called her home for a leak? Neil pointed at the stairs silently, and she looked and saw something that filled her with horror. There were prints on the stairs, like hand or footprints, where something had clearly dragged itself up the stairs. But each print had long claws. While the cleanup operation began, a steady drip, drip, drip could be heard, and the police officers watched in amazement as droplets formed in mid air and fell to the ground, making a puddle of stale urine on the floor. Trying desperately to figure out what the catalyst was, Lee was no longer allowed in the house. Instead, the men went to the local pub once a week. This seemed to work really well for everybody, for a while, until eventually the activity started in the pub. The entity would throw things at Neil, put things in his drink, flip the table he was drinking at, make loud, high-pitched noises around him, emit foul stenches around him, and generally make life as uncomfortable as possible for him while he was out and about. Rather than feel despaired by this bizarre turn of events, Neil embraced it. And eventually he found it funny. He found a way to communicate with Phil, as he now called the entity. One tap for yes and two taps for no. And Phil became a strange but oddly welcome member of their weekly pub trips. They would bring friends to the pub to show off Phil's abilities engaging in long tapped out conversations and giggling as he whistled, growled, barked and made birdsong throughout the night. Except the problem was was that this newfound friendship was never going to last long. One day, while driving to the pub with his brother and Lee, Neil began to squirm uncomfortably in the passenger seat. He complained of being poked and pinched and his clothes were visibly being tugged by unseen hands. This escalated, until both Neil and Lee were being assailed by invisible punches and scratches, and tumbled from the car, flailing their arms as though swatting an invisible swarm of bees. At this point, Neil's brother had seen enough. He brought Neil to the Catholic Church, and demanded an exorcism. While speaking to the priest, Phil began banging wildly on the floor and walls. And finally, an exorcism was arranged and carried out by the exorcists of the church. And Phil was quiet. Is that the end? I know, it ended very abruptly in the book as well. Okay, that's very end. That's yeah. very blunt. Very abrupt ending. Very end doesn't make sense. No, that's not a nice story. Um, I've got a question for you. Okay. Were you making notes through that story? Yeah, because you always tell me if I'm not listening. And it's not that I'm not listening. It's just I've got a really short memory. So I thought if I wrote some stuff down, I'd remember what I was talking about. 
Well, I would like you to to tell us what you've got written down. I'm no, excited. because that doesn't make sense. I, I, I'm also a bit confused by all the different men names. Okay, so you've so got... So Neil is the husband. Neil is the husband. Carol's husband. Caroline's husband. Lee... Is Neil's friend. friend. David, who they carried down the stairs, must be one of the child. One of the children, yeah. Michael, Mike. Is the paranormal investigator. Ah, that makes more sense. Mike okay. Hallowell is the paranormal investigator. Yeah, there's a lot of names going on in that thing. Yeah, and Phil is the demon. Yeah, I just I want a little comment on that before we unpack it. Yeah. I feel like if you've got a demon going on in your house, if you're going to name it something, give it a name that makes it sound less powerful. Oh, Phil is a great name. Or Nigel. Yeah, Nigel. Yeah. Clive. Clive. Get get on it. What would your? That's what I want the listeners to do this week. <laughs> yeah. Write on Facebook. Write to us on Instagram. Tell us what your demon will be called. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like you know that that trope in all the horror films is about the power in the name. You yeah. know, like, and knowing the name of the demon. That's one thing, right? There's always like a super scary name anyway. Where it's like Beelzebub So if it's not going to tell you a name, give it a nickname that sort of depowers it a little bit. Howard. Howard. Take it to the pub and make a show out of it. I can only imagine like how like humbling that must have been for the demon to just be a monkey essentially in the, yeah. in the pub. Do this trick. And he's like giving it all his, his big growling impression. And they're all laughing at him and buying another round. There's honestly a whole chapter dedicated to all the piss taking <laughs> they did out of Phil in the pub. Like... There is a like honestly a whole chapter dedicated, to it. and they're all like, "Whoa, lads, 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 go on, Phil." I guess if you subscribe, Tip the table. If you subscribe to the idea that like demons are like the opposite of God and and like Jesus or whatever religion you subscribe to, then I guess you know they're they the good side is more powerful than the evil side. So I guess the more you sort of the more you sort of put it in its place without. You can do the whole Zach Bagan provoke thing, but actually calling it Nigel and laughing and taking at the it, piss a bit, yeah. yeah. I it's... don't know. I don't, I'd rather not find out, to be honest. I mean, I'd rather not find find out either. Like, I don't, I don't need to test it out no. to find out. But at least now we know if we get a demon, give it a good name, bring it to the pub, sorted. Yeah. So it sounds like to me that that is fascinated with Neil, but attached to Lee. Yes, I wonder about this element of the story. So it see it does absolutely seem to be all centered around Neil. But it's not Lee tricking him though, is it? Because I did wonder that yeah. though. Because in the very beginning, when I was first reading it, so this story was completely new to me. I don't know anything yeah. about these people. I wondered about whether this was Neil experiencing some sort of depression because she talks quite regularly in the book about how he becomes more and more withdrawn, how their marriage suffered, which you can imagine if you're under that kind of stress, it probably would. I mean, it's just saying for, for a minute, if this was real, if this was a real event that happened, of course, you'd be under tremendous stress but i did wonder if this was centered around neil neil having some sort of mental health episode or that it is about lee and neil and lee's relationship because the bit where they're in the car and he neil is like because it starts quite like oh stop poking me oh it's it's phil stop annoying me and then it gets more and more frantic and then after a while he's like screaming in the car but then lee starts as well and he's like oh no it's attacking me too some there was something very sad and witch trialsy about it what if lee has such a deep-seated resentment for neil that he's manifested this thing i'm sure that's a scientific thing yeah, I'm sure you can dislike somebody so much that you can scientifically summon a demon to their house. I mean, this is, we're not talking, uh, to start with, I was like, ah, it sounds like a poltergeist. And then it got very demonic. Yes. I mean, I know it didn't, it probably didn't get as demonic as quickly in the book, but in obviously in your story, because it's a brief. No, no, it, it did. Okay. This book starts with the phone call she gets at work. Okay. There is no build up 
the house that they lived in was new. It was a new build. They were the first people to live there. It literally started one day out of the blue with knives being thrown and all that crazy stuff and then got worse, got progressively crazier very, very quickly. So the growling started on that first day. Yeah, so it, it's very demonic and it's got a couple, like, I was, I was writing, you know, I was writing notes as we went, as you went along and then, you know, I put down about the phone calls. I was like, great, hate that. Yeah, that, I mean, that bit is technology, gross. rubbish. Then, you know, growling, blah, blah. I don't like the growling too much. And then he swears at the priest, which is a very sort of, demon thing isn't it like we're going to use those swear words you know that's what we do we're cussing them out blah 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 and then it said about starting fires and i was like oh great another ghost that starts fires just what i i love you know the only thing that can make this worse would be if there was a little girl or a doll and then literally as soon as i finished that thought you went turned into a little girl and i was like oh come on man it's almost as if they've listed all the tropes that they've seen in a horror film and then written a book around it isn't that crazy that's almost as if this this woman has seen lots of horror films and has included a lot of those tropes. Interestingly, this was written in 2010. So that's about the height of things like Ghost Adventures, you know, where yeah. it was getting its its first really big. Neil talks in it when she sees the little girl where he's like, that's what demons do. They disguise themselves as little girls. Where where in the world? Who knows that? Like that I is think- that is something that has been born of horror films. And shitty TV shows like Ghost Adventures and people who claim to be demonologists. I feel that you know I've said this before. I feel like I feel like evil is a real thing and de- and demons exist. But I think we've got to be very careful what what we base our information on. Yeah. Because actually, the the knowledge you know, if if you're taking it from a pu- purely sort of like, you know, I believe in heaven, like therefore there is a hell. It's coming from a spiritual text, right? So that really should be the basis of how we understand the other side. Really, if that's what you're going for, if that's how you're prescribing it, then you should be doing that. There's nothing in the Bible about... Demons coming back as little (laughs) Little girls girls. with pale pink dresses and giving you three scratches because apparently it's it's a mocking of the Trinity. That's all ghost adventures bullshit. I don't know know whether it originates there. I'd imagine it's probably... There's probably demonology texts and stuff. Can I use ghost adventures bullshit as like a a sweeping statement, a catch-all term for people who make stuff up about demons? And I know this next statement is not going to add any more credibility to it, but I was watching a little interview with Ed and Lorraine Warren that Matt, who's getting fed up with the shout outs, <laughs> sent me. And they were saying all pol- all, pol- all poltergeists are demons. That's what they said mm. in that interview. You know what else is interesting about this is that Annabelle... No, why are you bringing her No, but here? Annabelle... Yeah. There was notes that were written in that story as well. Notes that appeared from nowhere. So I what's don't the know. DO8? Do you know the DO8? Apparently it's... Um, I didn't have time to research it because I literally finished yeah. writing this episode about, you know, about two minutes before we started it. I feel like that it. South Shields haunting was around the same time as Enfield, wasn't it? Maybe. I don't know. We'll need to... Maybe we could do an episode on it next week or the week after so I can find out what it's about. But I just feel like there... When I, when I was reading this book, there are so many tropes that are genuinely it's and maybe maybe i'm just being too cynical but it sounds like there are a bazillion and one different elements from like really famous horror films or all that demonology stuff seems to be taken into it i don't know i don't know i just need to do some fact checking yes because again my brain's a bit scrambled so they moved into this house yeah and then it started happening so it's a new house for them new house for them they were the only family that ever lived there okay so that that provides them with a get out for context doesn't it it does oh my god are you being cynical are you being critical of this story (gasps) damn if we take this at face value yes it there's so many pointers that we would read now i know you call it ghost adventures bullshit 
but there's lots of pointers that we know are tropes from cases, other cases, so different things that we see those kind of things so we know you know from not just from ghost offences but we know from like the the Enfield haunting there's barking yeah there's... we know from um, the exorcist which is obviously loosely based on something that's true we know about the whole swearing and the priest and it's a common thing for demons isn't it to you know to curse out Christ and stuff like that so there's also another really famous haunted case in America where pools of water formed and stuff dripped from I did the walls like the little twist that it was urine if we look at it at face value it's got a lot of stuff going on that we know is demonic is very polter, very poltergeist activity the flow of the knives you know stuff moving stuff being thrown seeing pitch seeing the person you know diff, getting different feelings scratches being pushed down the stairs the distorted face was interesting because i saw something recently where it was some footage from a, a seance where this woman's face changes in a very subtle way and it was horrifying and uh, but again it's another trope it's something that happens you know you're supposed to see it and it's not necessarily a change in in behavior but it's a change in the way that they look to everybody else that's when they appear so if you take it at face value it's got a lot of evidence however i i am saying that there's too much evidence in this case right too much evidence where is it because apparently cameras apparently apparently this thing wouldn't let itself be filmed but ever but there was a there's some there's a picture with a green glow around isn't there and a distorted face no no no, because the cameras would never work around him Oh, no, so no, when that, in the story, it's so in, when, in the, when but he was physically glowing green. So the paranormal investigator took photos, and in the flash oh, in the of flash. light, oh. they saw huh. his face change. So there there wasn't photographic evidence of his face changing. It was all eyewitness evidence, which is interesting because it is two thousand and ten. You know that's not actually that long ago. So you'd kind of think that would there be more of a I, I'll whip out my phone and film this you know what i mean yeah to me the more i think about it the more it is filled with those tropes that we all know the other thing which is no disrespect to the author but she has since gone on and written very many more books so i did wonder whether this happened and they decided to or she did and she wrote Mm -hmm. maybe a more elaborate version um, I don't really know. And maybe she she used maybe she wrote it and realized that she loved it, and decided to go and write more books. Fine, like yeah. fair enough. Yep. So, but I just don't know how I feel about this case. I'd say if that was a very detailed synopsis of the next James Wan movie, you'd be like, oh yes, I can see that being a movie. I don't think that it was Lee, and I don't think that it was Neil. I think that the story's probably made up. <gasps> have we broken you? I think you might have. I'm not taking notes next time. <laughs> no, don't. Because it, it, I don't know. It's like Samson cutting his hair. There's like it takes too, away your power. There's just, there's just too much for me. And I do generally believe 99.5% of the stuff you read to me. Like generally. Do you know what we're going to do? Because I left out. So imagine the amount I've left out yeah, of this yeah. as well. Readers, listeners rather. I, this is free on Amazon Kindle at the moment. I implore you to go and read it. Let us know what you think. What? How How do you feel about it? Do you think this is buff a real paranormal case? Or do you think it's something else? Do you know what ruined it for me? What? was when I was going through everything and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's got the phone, it's got the fire. And then it was the thinking, oh, you know, all this needs now is like a doll or a little girl and you literally saying little yeah. girl for me to go, I don't know. 
Because if, if you think about the craziest like listener stories that we've heard, like not crazy as in like made up, but just the, sort of the wildest, all these things that have happened. They're never like this. They're never this much. There's never this no. much. It's like there might be a lot, but it'll be, oh, we heard footsteps up the stairs or if there was this hand that came around or the lights went off yeah. or we got a mystery phone call or or maybe and all maybe all of those things but not to the degree of this this is like full-blown you know setting fire throwing knives throwing where the pe- where did the pebbles come from yeah there was a quite a lot of um cereal like rice krispies materializing out of thin air and being thrown at people too which i thoroughly enjoyed i mean if you could materialize rice krispies out of the air you could and could somehow work out a way of also materializing the packaging you could make a mint there Oh no! I'd just be really happy because if I could materialize Rice Krispies out of thin air, sorted, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, everyone knows how much I love cereal. Or if it was Cookie Crisp, even better still. Yeah, even just, better still. There's just too much going on in this for me. It's just, it just. I, I think I was freaked out for a long time, but then when I had that that thing that I just said about, I was like, mm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on board anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Okay. Would you like some new reviews? I'd love some. Thank you. Our first review comes from Touring Bubble, who says, Love the stories, even as a sceptic. Even though I don't believe in ghosts, I've always loved a good ghost story, and Emma is one of the best at telling them. As an American, it's also awesome to hear lesser-known stories from Ireland and the UK. Dan always manages to catch me off-guard with his steadfast explanations of watchers or whatever weird thing Emma has never heard of. I'm caught up on the back catalogue and can't wait to hear more spooky stories. I'm excited for the eventual conclusion where Bims dropkicks a black-eyed kid down the stairs to escape Freddy. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's a great review. And our second one comes from Ollie Short Dad, which is entitled Best Accents Ever. I found this podcast a couple of weeks ago and binged every chance I got. I'm all caught up, so now I have to leave a review. I couldn't find any way to review on other than iTunes, so I dug out my old dead iPhone 4S and charged enough to write this review. I absolutely love this podcast so much. Emma and Dan are a great team and have such a fantastic chemistry. I love the accents as well. To be honest, I came for the paranormal stories, but the accents hooked me. I've listened to other paranormal podcasts, but it's the only one I've stuck with and reviewed. Y'all are awesome. Thanks for this little slice of humour, heaven. Thank you so much. You. And for the lengths you went to yeah, to write that review. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is something. Something else, getting that old iPhone out of uh, retirement. And finally, Holly K 28 eerie and entertaining. I love all things spooky and was looking for a paranormal podcast to listen to on my hour-long commute when I stumbled across this one. The stories are great. Emma and Dan are so fun to listen to and the movie reviews are super helpful. I'm trying to watch a super a horror movie per day in October. A lot of them wind up being short films. So I'm taking notes on their reviews to add to my list for this year. Thank you so much. Yeah, and let us know how that goes. Well, no, this how it went. Oh, is that? Oh, that was, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's how far behind we are, aren't we? We are very far behind. <laughs> if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find me on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. You can find Dan on Instagram at 50p Movie Club. You can find us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Give the page a like and join our supergroup or LGS supergroup. The password is... Emma and Dan. You can send in your own stories to be read on our mini episodes on a Wednesday to... RealLifeGhostStoriesPodcast.gmail.com You can buy our merch. The link is in the description. You can also support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash Stories. The link is also in the description of this episode where for $5 a month you get access to over 50 extra episodes 
And for $2 a month, Dan, what do you get? You get access to the full back back catalogue. Back catalogue. <clears throat> you get access to the full back catalogue of 50p Movie Club, which is a podcast that I used to do with Will and I now do with Dave Keane. And we get a movie each week, normally a really bad movie, from a 50p section in a shop called CEX, and we review it and talk about it and berate it normally. You can follow us on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We post videos kind of bi-weekly. And thank you for listening. On that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.